You're listening to the Eltham Baptist Church Podcast. Well, you probably have um, deduced from the, from the stage and so forth, it's official, it's Advent. And that, of course, Advent talks about an arrival or the coming of, of something. And, of course, um, as Christians, we remember the coming of, of God's Son incarnate and coming to earth, God becoming or taking on flesh. Um, so it is that time of the year. It's a wonderful time of the year, and it's, it's one that um, I know is sometimes hard to protect, isn't it? Isn't it strange that it is now that life in just about every area all of a sudden seems to speed up? You are going to, I think, a little bit like the Hunt household, face the very, very real challenge of trying to make space of, of actually um, remembering the reason for the season. Um, it seems that everybody wants to, wants to grab every spare moment that you have, every Sunday that you, that you have for a, a work breakup or a family do or, I don't know, a sporting club event or whatever it might be. And I just wanted to, to urge you, be ready for that and to make this Advent, this, this season, um, one in which it is, is filled with Jesus Christ. It's filled with worship and adoration of him where he, he is placed first um, in your plans and your schedules. And it's not easy, so I, so I pray with you. But, but we wanted to, to in fact, uh, tackle that a little bit tonight and, and talk about um, how, we, how we prepare and anticipate um, this, this particular part of the year. I don't know um, if you have a favourite Christmas carol, Christmas song, um, but if you do, turn to the person next to you and, and, and tell, what would be your favourite? It can be contemporary, it can be classic, it can be jazz. Uh, what's your favourite Christmas carol? Turn to the person next to you and, and share the secret. All right, what, uh, what, what are some of your favourites? Well, I'd love, love to hear. Silent Night, yeah, that's, that's, that's a classic, that one, isn't it? Some beautiful, beautiful new versions coming out of that too, yeah. Anyone else? What's a favourite Christmas carol? What was it, Matt? Carol of the Bells. Yeah, 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 could you uh, just sing a couple of lines for us? It's not coming to me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, where's Gudrun? What was your favourite, Gudrun? That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. No, come on, give it to me again. I will translate for everyone. That's right. That's right. You know what that is, don't you? That is, of, of, of course, the one about the expensive donkey. The so silent night, yes, because the donkey's quiet. So, yes, yes. Any, any others? Any others? A very quiet donkey. Oh, holy night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a fantastic one. Yeah, yep, yep. Any others? Drummer boy. Thanks, John. Oh, Gloria in Excelsis. Yes, yeah, 
Yeah, fantastic. Well, of course, it's not a, not a classic Christmas carol, but it is a bit of a contemporary song. You may have heard it. Um, my grown-up Christmas list. And uh, in, in this particular song, the lyrics basically talk about being a child and having a little bit of a shopping list for Santa of different things that you want and putting together that list, growing, growing a little bit older and finding out your drawer can no longer fit any more brown socks. You better come up with something better. And then maturing into, well, actually, what really matters in life? Like, what are the, what are the real issues? What are the real things that I would like? And it goes on to, to talk about a, a host of things, including world peace and, and other things that you would hear at a Miss Universe um, contest. And, and so it goes on. It's a secular song, but um, I think you could turn that around as well, and you could talk about a, about a grown-up Christmas prayer. What, what is on your prayer list for, for Christmas? And I want to talk a little bit about that today. If God were to ask you this evening, what would you like for Christmas? From me, what would you like for Christmas? And, you know, you, you knew that he wasn't talking about an Aston Martin or something like that. What would you like for Christmas? What would be that, that lasting, enduring gift that, that you would dare to ask God for? What would you like for Christmas? I wonder, I wonder if you've thought about it. Maybe you haven't had time to be still enough to compile something of a Christmas prayer list. But what would it be? What would it be? I'm going to explore that a little bit more this evening. If you've got your Bibles um, with you, um, would you like to turn to or scroll to uh, Luke chapter 1? Luke chapter 1, and we're going to read from verses 5 to 17, the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Um, we're just going to stop shy of, of uh, verse 18 and, and so forth. We'll cover that next week. But let's read this, this story once more. And of course, this is all part of the, the advent, the, the anticipation of the, the coming of Jesus Christ. But it, but it actually starts with one who is going to prepare the way. So Luke chapter 1, verses 5 to 17. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both well advanced in years. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by Lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. You are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Many 
of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Oh, Heavenly Father, as we take on that posture of humble learning before you, we pray that your spirit would now come and speak to us from your word. Each and every one of us here can glean some wonderful insight from this ancient yet remarkable story. So come and speak to each of us, I pray. In your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Well, here is, if you can picture it, um, Zachariah, and he is one of the priests. And there's a little bit of a schedule. There's a lot of priests. One estimate is some 18,000 priests. That's incredible. Um, that were, were serving the temple. Most of them would have another job. Zechariah and Elizabeth were probably out in the country somewhere where they would have tended to a small farm and, and then other priestly duties. But this experience of actually going um, for this two-week period to the temple and, and serving in this way, this, this was about a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And the, the lot fell to him, and, and he was able to have this opportunity. It was a big moment for him and Elizabeth. And this particular part, on this particular day, this particular part or his, his role was as the people were assembled and, and, and praying, he would, he would go um, into, into the temple, not the Holy of Holies, but just into the court prior to that, and there would be a, an altar of incense rising before the Lord. And this, I mean, a number of scriptures is um, somewhat symbolic of the prayers of God's people rising before his throne. So there are the people, if you can picture it, they're, they're out in the courtyard praying and, and their prayers are literally going up to God. Zechariah goes in at this important point and, and he is to, to um, attend to the altar of incense. And, and all of a sudden he, he sees and an angel there. Have you ever, ever seen an angel? I think I have. I've told you about that on one occasion in, in Greece. Not in a sort of, uh, sort of a, a vision like this or not in a portrayal like this with you know, heavenly glory. But, but um, um, for my part, I think in a more ordinary fashion. But I wonder if you have. Hebrews 13 tells us it's quite possible. If you're a hospitable person... It's quite possible, according to the writer of Hebrews, that you've actually entertained an angel. Isn't that interesting? It should spur, spur you on to be a little bit more hospitable, shouldn't it? Um, although they eat a lot, I hear. That's not Hebrews, that's somewhere else. But anyway, uh, the, I wonder, have you, have you seen an, an angel? Zachariah did on this occasion, and, and it didn't look like any ordinary person. He knew that it was was an angel. He was an angelic visitation. Why, you might ask? Well, I think the message that Zechariah was about to receive was going to require great faith. With great revelation is often required great faith. And I think that's why on this occasion, God sends an angel. No ordinary angel. Gabriel has a couple of mentions throughout scripture and 
And he is often sent when there is a very important message from God. Now, since the closure of the Old Testament, we think that Malachi is perhaps the last book that was written um, around the time of Nehemiah. Since the closure of the Old Testament, there's been 400 silent years where lots of, been, lots of things have been happening. I mean, the world was in turmoil, but overall, in terms of that prophetic utterance, God had been rather silent. So scholars call it the 400 silent years. Now, suddenly... God's activity is seen once more. And who does he send to break the silence? None other than the angel Gabriel. He comes and and there is Zechariah. And I don't know how he knows them. I don't know if angels wear name badges. But somehow he knows that this this is the mighty Gabriel. Wow. So after all of these years of silence, God is speaking Again, he's got a very, very important message. And he's standing over by the altar of incense as if to to say to Zechariah, I'm here to talk to you about prayer. But not just prayer generally, not just the prayers of God's people out there in the courtyard. All those prayers are rising up to heaven. But Zechariah, I'm here to talk to you about your prayer. The prayer that you and Elizabeth have have prayed many, many times over. In fact, it's an old prayer. It's a it's a prayer that that actually goes way, way back to their to their youth. And Zechariah may have even been forgiven for forgetting about this prayer, thinking that over the years, well, you know what? I don't think God's going to answer this one the way that we had hoped He would. They were now well on in their years, and and they could have been forgiven for kind of thinking that, well, it's not meant to be. I think one of the reasons, interestingly, one of the reasons that they are described as a righteous couple is it was common in those days to associate um, conceiving a child with the blessing of God. And guess what? People had that sort of funny little way of, of reversing that and thinking the inability to conceive meant that God wasn't blessing. And so some in those days would have actually said to Zechariah, you know what, you would be better to divorce Elizabeth and find somebody who can conceive your child. It wasn't just that it was representative of God's blessing, but it was almost like your, it was your, your retirement plan. Somebody who can look after you in your latter years, really. And they didn't have a retirement plan as such. But Zechariah and Elizabeth didn't take the easy way out. They had been faithful to God and they had trusted God. And and I believe that it is these these lives of, of blameless fidelity that they had lived to try and bring glory to God. That's why they received God's commendation. So here is Zechariah all of a sudden confronted with this angel. And the angel, firstly, puts him at ease. Of course, Zechariah was startled and gripped with fear. We read in verse 13, the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. And here's this wonderful sense of comfort and reassurance. Your prayer has been heard. Are there any more comforting words in Scripture than those? Your prayer 
has been heard. You got a prayer? You got one of those prayers that you pray over and over again? It's big, it's audacious, it's, it's like out of this world, it's impossible, and sometimes you feel silly or foolish for even, even thinking it, but it won't go away. You know, it's a very comforting thing when you get that sense that heaven is saying, your prayer has been heard. In fact, a couple of, a couple of things that Jesus teaches us about, about prayer is, is the importance of, of faith, just by quick review, because there is a mysterious element to prayer, isn't there? I don't, I don't think it matters how long you've been a Christian, prayer is mysterious. It really is. But Jesus teaches us some very simple things that we can grasp about prayer. Firstly, it requires faith. And that was the story in Luke 11 about the, the late night visitor and, and somebody needing to go borrow bread from their neighbor. Please, please, I've got visitors coming. And, and basically, you know, because of their, or their shameless audacity, the prayer will be answered. And, and so that's the importance of faith. Jesus talks about about fasting and prayer. And I know that can be confusing sometimes for us in society, isn't it? What's, what's happening with that? What is it? I, I think simply put, fasting is, is that moment where we are, we are laying things down. We are denying ourselves in such a way that things get surrendered that no, wouldn't normally be surrendered to God. And in that moment, God becomes more important than our prayer request. And we are aligning ourselves with his will. Our prayer request slowly through fasting can get aligned with his will. Sometimes he tweaks the prayer. Is it, ah, it's close, it's close, but it's not quite there. Just bring it over here a little bit. And suddenly we find ourselves perfectly aligned with God's will, which is a very good place to be. So we know about the importance of faith. We know about the importance of fasting. Um, we learn also about the importance of per perseverance. Luke 18, Jesus talks about the persistent widow. She just kept begging and begging and annoying this judge for justice. Why does she get it? Because she was persistent. Likewise, likewise, you should be persistent in prayer. And then there's another little, little part we don't talk about so much. There's faith, fasting, perseverance, and, and also the peace of God in prayer. Um, what would I say would be the difference between, say, perseverance and striving? I would say... Say striving is perseverance without faith. We're just going around and around in, in circles. Perseverance, though, goes deep. It goes to that deep place because it's accompanied with faith. There should be a certain sense of peace. Luke chapter 11, Jesus says, well, you fathers, and I think he's joking a little bit here. You know, he says, you, you fathers, you know, let's say your, your kid asks you for some, some uh, fish. Would you give them a snake? What if, he, what if your kids ask you for an egg? Would you give them a scorpion? No. <laughs> Even you fathers, though you're bad and evil, <laughs> you know how to give good things to your kids, don't you? Well, how much more? Your heavenly father, who is the epitome of goodness. Well, he, he's not going to trick you, is he? He's not like that. He doesn't play games with you. He doesn't mess with you. No. He'll give you good things. He really will. You can trust him. You can be at peace. And sometimes I think in our praying, in our petitions, our requests to God, when we ask him things, I think we, we persevere and persevere. We pray in faith. And, and sometimes fasting needs to align that prayer. We persevere, we persevere. But there can come a time 
where suddenly we realize it's as if we hear the words, your prayer has been answered. It's a, it's a funny moment. The best way I can describe it is it's almost like the, the gates of heaven just seem to, seem to break open and, and grace pours forth and suddenly you just know there's a wonderful peace in your heart that your petition can now turn to praise. Hmm. It's an interesting thing. Some of you have experienced that, I know, in just chatting with you from time to time. But, but suddenly your, your petition, it feels as if there is just a sense, a, a, a tipping point where God says, it's okay now, I've got this. Your prayer, I've heard your prayer. Your prayer has been heard. I gotcha. And now you can just wait in faith. And that petition can, can turn and it can become one of praise. And then, of course, the other thing we know is to is to pray with confidence because we are praying in the name of Jesus Christ. It's the name above all, number, all other names. You can't invoke a greater name. That's the name. That's the one. That's the name above all names. And when we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, aligned with the will of God, we can be sure that our prayer will be heard and, and our prayer will be answered. And then we learn this from, from the angel. And so your prayer has been heard, a wonderful insurance, uh, assurance. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. You were to call him John. And then this must just absolutely exceed Zachariah's expectations. This just blows him out of the water. He's not just going to have a kid. Listen to this. He will be a joy and a delight to you. That's the kind of kid all of us parents love to order. He will be a joy and a delight to you. Many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. What a wonderful thing. Isn't that fantastic? Not only are they going to have a kid, but this exceeds all of John, uh, Zechariah's expectations. He's going to be a joy. He's going to be a delight. In fact, we read on in a moment, he's going to be filled with the Spirit of God even before he's born. This is no usual baby. This is amazing. Other people are going to be blessed by him. They're going to be rejoicing because of his birth. And God himself, this baby is going to be great in the sight of the Lord. God's pleasure is going to be upon him. And it seems that here is just another one of those many occasions where Scripture explicitly points out that, that when you bring your petitions to God, when you... When you ask, when you knock, when you seek, God loves to answer, but he loves to exceed your expectations. He loves to do abundantly more than what you may have anticipated or expected. God loves doing that. Now, if I was to stop there, I might be just a little bit accused of a little bit of prosperity doctrine. But there's one other aspect to this. Yes, he loves to exceed your expectations, verse 14, but then we read a little bit more. He'll be a joy and a delight to you. Many will rejoice because of his birth. He'll be great in the sight of the Lord. Now, note this. A couple of instructions. He's never to take wine or fermented drink. Here's a little bit of the Nazarite vow. Uh, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. And now, here's a very interesting part. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. 
God loves to take your petition and exceed your expectations as it complements his sovereign purposes. Here is your petition, and the only thing you know is, Lord, this is what I need. And whether it's a, an ordinary thing or whether it's an extraordinary thing, the only thing I know is I'm supposed to bring it to you in prayer. You say, give us this day our daily bread. Just the ordinary things, I should pray about those things. You say, when I'm at the end of myself and I don't know where to turn, I should turn to you with the extraordinary things. Little or big, I am supposed to turn to you with my prayers and petitions. You say, ask, seek, knock, and it will be given to you. You say that I have, I have not because I ask not. You tell us that we should, we should cry out to you and, and offer up our petitions and that you will exceed our expectations. But there is another picture here. There is the little picture. And I don't mean by that that your concerns are little. I just mean it's the perspective that you've got, right? We only have the perspective that we have. It's important to God. That's the picture we start with. But God says, I will answer that and I will exceed your expectations because, do you know what? This is part of a much bigger picture that I am weaving together for my glory. So, yes, I will answer your petition. And I will do it in a way and at a time that is going to fit this vast redemptive plan that I have and bring me much glory. So yes, I will answer. Yes, it will exceed your expectations because it's going to complement my sovereign purposes. You see, our petition is a thread in God's redemptive tapestry. And he loves to take all of our petitions here, and he loves to take them as, as precious, special threads that he is going to weave into this amazing tapestry that he is putting together that is accomplishing his sovereign purposes. You know, the hint here is this funny little, this funny little mention here about... He's going to come in the spirit and power of Elijah and he's, he's going to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteousness. What is that about? It's actually a reference to the very last words in Malachi. You know, I don't, I don't know if you're curious like me, but every now and again when I was young, I was thinking, what is? You know what? I, I, don't, I don't actually know. What, what, what's the last few words or verses in, in the Old Testament? You know, where does it finish? How does it wind up? Old Testament, New Testament, bracket, bracket. What is the bracket that ends or brings to closure the Old Testament? It's here in Malachi. Malachi chapter 4. See, I will send the prophet Elijah. There it is. To you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of parents to the children and the hearts of children to their parents. Yeah, but isn't this talking about families getting along better? Well, yes, that'll be part of it. But no, there's actually a deeper thing going on here. This whole letter right there in chapter 1, God introduces himself as Israel's father. He's the father. They are his children. This is a, this is a father's tender rebuke. And 
encouragement to the nation Israel. And he talks to them about a, about a number of things. He says, I want to reassure you of my love, but I also want to rebuke you that you have not reciprocated my love. How, they might ask? Well, in worship, you offer me blemished sacrifices and the priesthood is corrupt. And in society, there's, there's intermarrying with other, other nations and divorce and a tolerance of evil. And, and again, in worship, you you're skimping on your tithes and you're accusing me like I'm on trial somehow. But finally, he comes to the end, right towards the last couple of chapters of the Old Testament. And there's hope. And, and he says, but for that remnant that is faithful, those of you who long for me, who desire me, for those who do, like a tender father, I'm going to have compassion upon you. And then he gives them this wonderful promise. Indeed, I will um, have compassion upon you. And I will send you the, the prophet Elijah. And turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. And what is he saying there? My heart will be turned to you once more, Israel. And you too, I'm going to turn your heart back to me. I'm going to do a work in your heart. And now Jesus described John the Baptist as the Elijah and Gabriel also is promising, well, that day has come. <laughs> that moment, that prophetic fulfillment in, in Malachi, that day has come. That day where I will send my messenger ahead who will prepare the way of the Lord. Chapter 3, verse 1. One of the prophecies that is offered to to prophesy the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. It's fulfilled here. Zechariah, can you believe it? <laughs> Zechariah is a godly man. He knows about the, the promise of the coming Messiah. He's just come from walking through all the Israel, offering up their prayers outside. He's come into the temple, and there is an angel, and he's saying, I've heard your petition. Zechariah, I know what's on yours and Elizabeth's heart. I've heard it, and I'm going to exceed your expectations. And do you know what? This is going to tie in to my answer, to my great redemptive plan. Those last words in Malachi where I made a promise, I would not leave you. I will come back, and I will redeem you. That promise is now being fulfilled, and their son, John, is going to be a part of it. Imagine how ecstatic they must have been. So I wonder, with your petition, there it is, from your perspective, it's the only thing you know. And you offer it up to God and say, please, would you, would you come and would you, would, you, would you answer this need that we have? And God says, I would love to do that. I wonder... Has God shown you what the bigger picture here is? Because there will be one. Your petition will fit in to this much bigger picture of God's sovereign purposes. Now, let me give you a couple of examples how. Um, Remembrance Day is on what date? The 11th of the, the 11th, usually at 11 a.m. You would have thought we'd take 11 minutes, wouldn't you? 
But I don't know, that must disrupt life too much. But anyway, on the 11th of the 11th is Remembrance Day. Now, this Remembrance Day, I was remembering something else, actually. That and another very, very important occasion. You see, many, many years ago, before we were entrusted with this particular property, we as a church used to meet in, a, in an old high school hall that smelt of possum wee down at Eltham High. No disrespect to Eltham High, but frankly, it did. It, was, it, it, it really smelled of possum wee. It was dark, it was dingy, and for those of us who remember, you know, we, it, it, was, it was like coming out of Egypt, you know? Um, and it, we're, we're never to look back. Don't, don't, don't go that. So we remember, but, but because of some, some renovation work that was going to happen, all of a sudden, we were no longer able to meet there. We had to look for another place. Now, as it happened, over, over time, all of a sudden, um, we, were, we found ourselves in conversations with both the, the Baptist Union and the Churches of Christ about this particular property that we, we now sit in. And it's easy to forget how God did it. But here we are sitting in this, this church, which um, was, was offered to us. Well, we were interested. We thought, I wonder, is that is what God, is that what you have in store for us? And I recall as a church council praying about this on one occasion, and, um, and there was a very, very specific word, and this word was this. It's like we are walking along the, the beach, as it were, and, and we know where we need to get to. The problem is that there is this headland that stands between us, our segment of beach, and the next segment of beach, where we want to be, where we are and where we need to be. And the temptation will be to take a shortcut over the headland, but we're not to do that. No shortcuts. It's a very, very clear picture. And for those on church council at the time, I think it was so vivid, we, we all remember it. It was a bit odd. But we were to hop in, as it were, a little boat with Jesus and head out past the headland. But this picture had us going so far out that actually we lost sight of the land and could have been tempted to feel like we'd lost sight of the whole thing, that we'd just gone too far, that God was taking us too far away from our objective. There would be a moment where we'd wonder that. But then... At the right time, he would bring us back in, understanding the tides and everything. He'd bring us right back into the very place we needed to be. It was a very, very clear picture. We prayed about that for some time, and we, our, our sense of understanding it grew and grew and grew. But, but at the time, the thing that stuck with me was, hmm, at some point in these negotiations, we're going to be offered a shortcut, and we need to be very wary of it. All right, so we tucked that away. As you do, I guess, with the prophetic. So time went on, and, and the negotiations seemed to be going well, and then all of a sudden fell over. And Ross remembers this very well. He was chair of church council at the time. Uh, but, um, but one day, uh, um, an administrator um, rang me. He was, he was on the phone. He didn't represent, uh, he, you know, he wasn't from either of those denominations. But he, but he said, Stuart, you're not going to get this property. And I said, oh. And he said, um, I really want you to. I said, oh. And he said, but for that to happen, you need to lawyer up. This is going to go to court and you need to get lawyers. And I said, well, I don't think we'd be very, very willing to do that. And I'll talk to the church council, but I don't think that's right. I don't think we'll be going that track. And he said, you're going to lose out on this. 
I said, oh, <laughs> if we do, we do. It's a little bit like that Esther moment. If we perish, we perish. Where if we lose it, we lose it. So be it. I felt that was the shortcut. We met as a church council. We prayed and we thought about it and we thought, yeah, we're not to do that. And so we hopped in the boat and we went out. We got so far out that I remember more phone calls from this administrator. You know what? You really should have had that property. It's not going to happen. I really wish you would have lawyered up. I said, yeah, we, I'm sorry. We, we, we won't do that. He said, you really should. I said, I, I understand that's your belief, but we won't do that. And, um, and so it looked like it was lost, humanly, humanly speaking. And then on one occasion, we got another phone call. Everything had gone to court, and, and this was an interesting one. The same man he said, So, Stuart, something interesting happened in the Supreme Court this week. I said, Oh, yeah, what was that? He said, Well, we were just, you know, submitting the paperwork and going through it, and they were flicking through it, and the judge, Supreme Court judge, sees this reference to some little old Eltham Baptist church. And he wants to know who they are. And, um, and when uh, there was so little paperwork or submissions from you, he was a bit suspicious. And he said, is somebody trying to keep something from me? Who is this Elfham Baptist Church? I want to know about them. They're already meeting there. Why shouldn't they have it? I'll give you a couple of weeks to get this in order and bring it back to me. He was fairly cross, apparently. <laughs> and so um, basically it was an offer, an invitation you can write a submission to the judge if you'd like. I said, what would we say? Oh, well, you could tell them who you are and what you do and uh, why this would be a good property for you. But all right. And so we did. And um, very, very soon, we saw ourselves coming back into land at just the right spot. God had seemed fit to to just bless us and, and, and really with some wonderful negotiations with, with both denominations, um, we were able to, to purchase, would you believe it, some, I think it's 12 acres of prime land here with our own power source um, out there, the power lines, with this, this prime acreage and, and this building. Isn't God good? Isn't God good? That was our petition at the time. Now, we might have thought, this is really odd. Why can't we take the shortcut? Why do we have to, as it were, go way out to sea on this, as if we're going to, going to lose what is an amazing opportunity? What is that about? Well, our petition was part of a much bigger picture. And that big picture was this. We needed to trust God. We needed to exercise faith. He needed to deliver this, as it were, into, into our hands. We would need to receive it in a way which left us with no shadow of a doubt that God had done this, God alone. That, that sign on the front of the church that says, Soli Deo Gloria, glory to God alone, that that actually would be written on our hearts, that it would be etched in our heads, that we would never forget, glory to God alone. Only you could have done this. And he did it on the 11th of the 11th. It was in the afternoon, actually. Otherwise, that would have been sweet, wouldn't it? If it was 11 a.m. Of the 11th, it was. Of 2011. Yeah. 
So God is good, but it was part of a much bigger picture in which, at the 11th hour, he would do this in such a way as to prove beyond any doubt that this was his doing and he would get the glory. That was the big picture. We exist for his glory. Um, let me give you another example. Um, sometimes you have big prayers in your life, and sometimes as a couple you have a big prayer. Bron and I have a, have a prayer that we've been praying for years, actually. It's audacious. It's huge. It's, it's, it's unthinkable. Humanly speaking, you would, you would say, nah. We've been praying that prayer for, for a long time now. And there was a time where, where that petition of, of just pleading before God, it, it did reach one of those tipping points where all of a sudden it felt like, as I said, heaven's gates were just flung open and the grace and the peace of God just came and comforted our soul. And we felt God saying, I've heard your prayer. And in that moment, it was, it was no longer the petition offered in faith. It, it switched to praise. But we're still waiting for the answer. And you might kind of think, well, what's that about? Yeah, me too. <laughs> oh, yeah. But here's my thought. This petition belongs to a much bigger picture. Maybe yours does as well. Because every extra day that we wait, that's another day in which we exercise faith. And with every exercise of faith, do you know what? God gets more glory. So my take on it, what's the bigger picture here? Yes, he is concerned and with great compassion, he has heard our prayer. He understands our petition. He knows all about it and he's got it covered. Stewie, Bron, I think he has said, I've heard your prayer. So what are we waiting for? Well, every day that we wait, God gets more glory. And when it's one more day, well, that's more glory to God. And it's one more day, well, that's even more glory. We're waiting even longer. But we get to exercise faith, more glory to God. With every extra day, incrementally, God's glory is growing. I think that's what that's about. I don't think God cares very, very much about our petition. But we're just waiting. So that at just the right time, when God has all the glory that he wants for this particular prayer petition, then we know he'll answer and we'll be able to see his answer. What's your prayer this Christmas? Have you got one yet? Maybe you haven't. Maybe you haven't, as I said before, had time to stop and think, what's on your Christmas list for God? What would you like to ask him for? What's the prayer of your heart? How would you like to see him act in your life or perhaps the life of someone close to you that, that you love? What is it, I wonder? Maybe you'd like to close your eyes and... And we'll take a moment to just come before God with our prayers and, and to do so with the promise that when he answers, it will exceed our expectations as it complements his sovereign purpose.
That's a promise. As we um, continue in an attitude of prayer, maybe there's other elements of Zechariah's story that are relevant. You know that Scripture describes all of us as a royal priesthood. That we can, through Jesus Christ, boldly approach the throne of God. All of us. Maybe you'd like to picture yourself coming before him, not the old temple that has passed away, but in the heavenly realm, that beautiful new temple in which he reigns. The old Ark of the Covenant, which was a picture of the throne of God. But the new throne in the heavenly realm that our, our God sits upon. Not the old altar of incense that once stood just outside the Holy of Holies, but... But perhaps, as we see in the picture of Revelation, we bring our own little golden lamp of, of incense, representing the prayers of God's people, representing our prayer, representing your prayer. Maybe you'd like to come before the throne of God and place that before him. And offer it up and say, here's my prayer. Here's my Christmas wish. Here's my prayer, Father. I give it to you. I'm asking. I'm knocking. I'm seeking. You can be assured God hears your prayer. And yes, He cares about it. Loves to answer in a way that exceeds your expectations. 
and complements his sovereign purposes. You can be sure of that. Well, Lord, would you receive these prayers that we offer up to you? Each and every one. We offer them up in, in faith that you hear, that you know, and, and the confidence that there is a much bigger plan of which you will fit this petition of ours. It's going to play a part, a very important part, a very important thread in that picture. But we leave that picture with you. You know where it should go. You know how it fits. You know what it should look like. And most of, most of all, you know when it needs to be woven in to that marvelous tapestry that will bring you the greatest glory. So we submit these prayers to you with great confidence and with a irrepressible hope. You're a good, good father. We can trust you. Thank you. All these things we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to hear more or simply pay us a visit, go to www.elthambaptist.net.